Hey ladies and gents and welcome to episode 47 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast where we talk about video games and everything happen happening in the industry. I'm joined by Dom. How's it going, Dom? Go Blue. Go Blue. Uh, yes, yeah, so Jordan's not going to be able to be with us this week, so two-man podcast. Let's get into what we've been playing. Pretty late week for me. I can finally talk about it. I've been playing Sniper Elite 4. Uh, talked about this a little bit before the show started, Dom. Uh, it's good. It's as close to being a AAA game as as you can be with still not having like all of that polish um it's fun it's a it offers big open areas you can kind of tackle at your own discretion and um you can completely pass up on a bunch of optional objectives and side missions in favor of just killing the primary target or you can go around and complete all those little objectives uh the stealth in it's really good the big mechanic that sniper elite's known for which is uh when you shoot somebody uh, you get a, a like an x-ray slow motion kind of shot and you see what exactly you hit is really good I was under the impression that it was going to become very tedious and uh, annoying because it happens over and over again but it actually doesn't happen every kill uh, and it kind of it, it waits to do it for the really cool shots if that makes sense um, I think the HUD so there's not there's not like some kind of meter that fills up and then it happens it's just sort of it knows when it's going to be extra cool, and then it decides to go extra. High. Yeah, yeah. Which I, which I'm cool with. Like, there's, there's the the thing where you can activate it yourself, which would be a cool mechanic. You know, where you, if you think about that, or the meter. But that, I was worried that since it just happens automatically, that it was going to become like tedious. And it isn't really tedious. I actually like it every time it pops up. It's really cool. Um, you get really cool um, reward. Not, I wouldn't say rewards, but. Whenever you kill somebody, it tells you the type of kill it was, and then you get a bunch of bonuses, multipliers for points, which then you can use for your um, your setup of like your guns and your grenades and stuff like that. At the beginning of the game, uh, before you even start the game, it lets you set up your loadout. So I think the big thing with this game, I haven't finished it yet, but it seems like the big thing with this game is that you can go into the story with different loadouts. It's kind of funny. It reminds me a lot of the way Hitman rolled out episodically, where there was... A map and you could go in and you know work on it however you wanted and then you can jump in with different uh, loadouts of guns and stuff like that or tools at your disposal obviously this is one main game uh, you know sniper elite for the guys at rebellion wanted this to be their big game uh, kind of like their coming out party for sniper elite and I think it's a good game I don't think it's bad by any means um, I don't know if it's worth getting for 60 bucks right off the bat um, but it is fun, and it is a really solid shooter early in the year where we normally have to wait till the fall to get them. So if you're able to get this on like sale and stuff, I definitely recommend it. I'm going to have a review going up uh, in the next week or so. But yeah, so far having a, a good time with it. It's just, it's not quite at, at the level I would expect it to be for, you know, I always have felt like this game was going to be their coming out party. And it's just like, it's almost there. Like, it's not a bad game by any means. It's, it's really well done, but... It just doesn't have that final bit of polish um, that I could. I think it could definitely use. And plus, like it's hard to get over like the Sniper Elite name. It's kind of generic. The lead character is kind of cool. He reminds me of BJ Blazkowicz from Wolfenstein a little bit, but he doesn't have a lot of that charm or personality really. But yeah, I think Sniper Elite 4 is a, a, a pretty good game. Uh, the other thing I've been playing quite a bit is uh, Fire Emblem Heroes. I was going to say Fable Heroes again. Uh... Yeah, I've been playing through that too. They recently updated it with some more content, some new heroes you can get into. Uh, they added a new paralogue, which is a new uh, little story that you can play through. So they're updating it with content, which I really enjoy, having fun with that. Upgrading guys. Um, I, last time I talked about it, that I had my archer and my main squad, 
was not great. He was only a level two here, and my other guys are level fours. Still haven't pulled the level five. Uh, haven't had that luck. Um, so I actually I ended up pulling uh, a four star uh, uh, archer, Gordon, and uh, I've been leveling him up. So now I have my squad all in the thirties, the low thirties, and then I have a second squad that's in like in the mid twenties, and a couple of other squads that I'm also leveling up. But the game's just fun to do when you're like listening to a podcast or you're waiting for something, or you know, it's just a, um, it's why people play mo- mostly play these cell phone or uh, smartphone mobile games is just to uh, past time and yeah having fun with it so what have you been playing uh so i i dabbled in some more fire emblem heroes as well uh not nearly as much as uh, that first week when it was out but it's fine i mean my thoughts on it really haven't changed it's it's good but it's still a phone game um other than that i finished up child of light and actually got every single trophy no platinum but at least i was able to 100 percent the game um I 100% did too. That's awesome. So we both have it. It sucks it doesn't have a platinum, though. It's so weird. It is weird. Because they could have... All the trophies were really easy to get. They could have very easily um, added in a couple, you know, tougher ones. And that would justify a platinum to me, like, without a doubt. But as it is, I mean, some of the trophies are so easy that I get why, you know, there's no platinum as as it is. But still weird. Really good game, though. I really enjoyed that. Um, but difficulty doesn't always mean platinum or not. I mean, that Mayo game has a platinum, and you just tap. The the standards of what gets and what doesn't get a platinum are horrendously inconsistent. <laughs> Does not make any sense, yeah. It's, it's fucking... It's an issue. Um, and Sony just needs to put Colin and Greg as the uh, SARS of trophies at the PlayStation. But we'll see when that happens. Um, other than that, I put a whole lot more time into Bloodborne. Went back to it after, I think it's been like a, never mind, <laughs> since the DLC that I just played two months ago, it had been like a year and a half, um, but I was so close, I'm thinking I'm like, I was like 70 some percent through uh, all the trophies, so I really want to go back and get that platinum, since that's a game I adore so much, and I've nearly beaten every single bit of it, I just want to have that, uh, you know, that like sense of completion over it. That stamp uh, of approval, yeah. And oh man. It's a tough one to get. Uh, those chalice dungeons. Whew. But I'm determined. I'm motivated now. And it's going to happen. It's not going to take too much more time, hopefully. Because um, all I have to really do right now is get through the last uh, two chalice dungeons, which are really short, except for their difficulty is insane, right? So you're going to probably be fighting the same boss over and over for hours. So that accumulates time pretty quickly, but... Would you say it's easier than so, a than a, a souls plat? Because the souls plats are pretty difficult. It's not it's not some. I guess it's if you're into souls, they're not that difficult. But it's like a lot of time investment, right? Because you have to like replay through it multiple times, like upwards of yeah. seven, eight times. The souls ones are, I think, less difficult, but probably more time consuming. Because yeah, a lot of those things like you can only get that item once in a playthrough, so you have to do several playthroughs to get certain rocks to upgrade your weapons or whatever it is. Uh, the first one was especially uh, bad about that. The second Dark Souls was was actually the reverse. That was a super easy. That was one of the other few games I've 100%ed. Uh, the third, I'm not too sure about. But yeah, Bloodborne, the the, <clears throat> the Platinum is just like insanely difficult. The Chalice Dungeons that you have to go through just get ridiculous. It gets so. harder and harder, yeah. To pull, you yeah. Know, pull out your hair. 
Uh, so and that's, that's yeah, that's all I've been playing. It's yeah. so weird that Child of Light does not have a platinum. That's one of the benefits of Xbox over PlayStation. We've talked about this number of time, but like everything has a thousand points now, so nothing doesn't. Right. And it sucks for people who are invested in PlayStation that like I want to get a platinum for this game because I love it. Oh wait, for some reason, for some, some arbitrary reason, this game doesn't have a plat, but this other one does. It's just really inconsistent. It's really weird. I don't, I don't get it. It's very weird. And I think. I think saying you platinum something is way more concise and easier and cooler than saying I 100%ed something because that, that can mean something completely different or I completed mm-hmm. something. It's a lot easier off the tongue, too, than saying I 1,000-pointed something. or some, I think there needs to be a better phrase for Xbox. Um, like I, I like the idea of saying I platinumed this, but it's just it's weird how inconsistent it is. It bothers me. <laughs> and my yeah. OCD would go crazy with that stuff. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much we everything we've been playing this week. A nice, hefty... Uh, roundabout group of games. Uh, let's get into the news. So the first bit of news here comes by way of Gamasutra. Resident Evil 7 surpasses 3 million sales in under 3 weeks, which is pretty huge. Uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, the latest entry in Capcom's long-running horror franchise, has surpassed 3 million sales worldwide. The Japanese publisher broke the news in a short press release and explained those sales were racked up across all platforms, PS4, Xbox One, and Windows PC. For added context, it's worth remembering that the game launched just under 3 weeks ago. Uh, in its latest financial report, Capcom revealed that both sales and profits are down and said it was banking on blockbuster titles like Resident Evil 7 to deliver the goods as we head toward the end of this fiscal year. Uh, this is huge. Uh, the fact that they've sold 3 million units in you know under 3 weeks or just about 3 weeks is crazy for you know, a franchise that was as dormant as, as Resident Evil was. And a lot of people were worried that this wasn't going to sell those numbers because it doesn't look like your traditional Resident Evil 7. The thing I think a lot of people lost in that is that with the success of Outlast through streamers and YouTubers, Outlast and Five Nights at Freddy's, I think we're entering this phase where horror games can succeed in a way they never were able to. It was more of a niche genre, and now it's a major genre for streamers, for YouTubers. People like to watch other people play scary games. People like to play scary games themselves now uh, to a more popular demand. And um, I think this also has to do with the stale, like horror movie market right now where there's not a lot of horror movies coming out and the ones that come out are kind of b tier and c tier and we've been getting some of the greatest horror movies recently the conjuring oh yeah i I don't know (laughs) well then the well i guess the conjuring is okay but uh there was a like all the paranormal activity movies and stuff like that i I don't know yeah those were lame yeah plus like the emergence of like vr this thing basically sold vr to a lot of people like you know this is a an immersive experience and it turned off vr to a lot of people too because they didn't want to play this in vr games as quick as this uh are these sales numbers surprising to you considering resident evil 7 you know it, it we weren't expecting this kind of I mean, it depends. It sounds really good. I'd be curious to see how that compares to <clears throat> RE5 and 6, though. Yeah. And hopefully it's well above that. Obviously, those games have been out for longer. But if you were to take, you know, the first three weeks for each of them, I'd be curious to see how they stack up. My my worry is that 5 and 6 sold way better. <laughs> and that would send a message like, well, maybe we should have just kept that same formula. Um, hopefully that's not how it goes because those games were... I only played five, and I watched a little bit of six, and it was just utter trash. Um, I mean, for a Resident Evil game, at least. Um, But yeah, I think three million sounds pretty good in three weeks uh, in January. I mean, January and February, that that seemed like real solid numbers. Yeah, it's. I think it's crazy, too, because... um, 
this is I, I think to a lot of people this is the way to re-energize like a dormant franchise like people want Castlevania to come back people want Metroid to come back and I think a lot of people can look at this and be like well this is how you make a game that caters to uh, an, a modern audience but still has a lot of Resident Evil in it a lot of people were worried that because it was in first person it wasn't going to be a Resident Evil game the moment you see that game played with the puzzles and the mechanics and the inventory and all that it's a Resident Evil game at its core it is a Resident Evil game and uh, I think that's one thing that a lot of people were happy with because uh, on the surface you weren't sure right this it's kind of like the five and six thing where you're veering off of what Resident Evil is is it's veering off too, just in a different direction and I think this actually catered more towards uh, one through four and uh, definitely felt like a Resident Evil game to a lot of people so I'm interested too. maybe we can look that up later after the show or we can just uh, we'll probably hear numbers anyways uh, comparing it to to five and six and see how this does for three million in the first three weeks I think that's good um, you, you could also see really good sales spikes depending on how they market we have the rest of the year you know um, and like Halloween this could be a big game if they market it right and stuff like that so uh, I am pretty interested also we're gonna have a uh, outlast 2 that's also coming out this year um, so maybe if people play outlast 2 and then they're like oh yeah Resident Evil came out and the people who didn't jump on board will then jump on board with Resident Evil so We'll see. It's going to be interesting how the rest of the year plays out, but uh, it's good to see that that franchise return to good numbers, or at least what we think are good numbers. Like you pointed out, we don't know. Um, the next story here actually also has to do with Capcom. This comes by way of IGN. Alex Osborne writes, Capcom files second trademark for Deep Down. Uh, a second trademark for Capcom's long-time coming action role-playing game, Deep Down, has been filed. First spotted by Gamatsu, the trademark was filed on February 9th. As noted by NeoGAF user Philippe MGM, this is now the second active trademark for the game, as the one Capcom uh, filed in 2013 is still valid. Deep Down was revealed at a PlayStation meeting in February of 2013. This was the unveiling of the PS4, the event which Sony pulled back the curtain on the PlayStation 4. The game was announced as a PS4 exclusive, developed using Capcom's new Panta Ray game engine. Uh, details have been few and far between since its original debut, with producer Yoshinori Ono providing a status update back in 2015, confirming the game is still in development but will likely look quite a bit different than the prior footage that we had seen. We're thinking about showing something that looks completely different from what previously shown, although it might be a while from now, he said. Perhaps E3 is the time? Question mark. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting that they would file the second trademark now. Do you think that this is something that we're going to be seeing at E3 for PlayStation's conference, or do you think this is something that is is something that's set in motion for maybe an E3 a year from now or two years from now? <sighs> Who the fuck knows? I mean, if you had asked me two days ago that question, I'd say this game has been canceled for a while. But now it's uh, it just muddles it. I don't. I, mean, I have no idea. Are they just doing this kind of as a? Well, you know, it's still kicking around, and we just want to keep an eye on it and make sure no one else, you know, abs it up or something. Or is this, you know, maybe gotten reworked, or they've been hard at it, and like this is about to come out in fall 2017 and just blow us all away? I don't know anymore. Yeah, I have no idea. Me neither. <laughs> uh, the game looked really cool, though. Uh, it looked right. very Soulsy. Uh, it. I also said I think it reminded me a lot of uh, Dragon's Dogma 2. Um, this is interesting because, like, we just read the story about Capcom's uh, Resident Evil 7 sales, and they're trying to push hard for the end of their fiscal year, which is in March. Um, I wonder if what approach they take with this, because people don't really realize how short we had for Resident Evil 7 from reveal to release. Like, they announced Resident Evil 7, people are like, oh, it's coming back, and then we had the beginning hour demo, and then 
it was out in February or January, sorry, at the end of January, and uh, it was a really fast cycle uh, from announcement to it coming out. So I wonder if they might do this again with this game because that that timetable, the January February area, is very open, and I wonder if they might do the same thing where there's a reveal at E3 this year, and then it eventually comes out uh, early next year, which would be interesting. Uh, we are going to have a hole with no really uh, Souls games because we've heard from From that they're kind of taking a break with that as we think that means uh, from the Souls series. We might get Bloodborne we'll 2 or something. Um, we'll see. Neo recently came out, uh, which a lot of people are liking. It came out to really great critical success, but I think this game looks cool. It it does strike me, we talked about this as like a Souls game, but it also feels kind of like uh, what people want Dragon Age to be kind of. Uh, it's it's it, it, like I don't know I don't know how RPG this is and how action oriented it is I know it's 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 touted as an action role playing game but I don't know how action it is or how RPG it is you know so it's gonna be interesting to see um, what exactly it is but it's gonna, hopefully we see this at E3 this year if it's coming out soon I don't want another situation where it's the Final Fantasies and the Last Guardians or it's a game we hear about for ten years so hopefully oh uh, yeah anyway. just do it or don't do it. Either way. Yeah, what do they say? Uh, Crapper, get off the pot? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> uh, so the next story uh, comes by way of Eurogamer. Uh, Tom Phillips uh, writes here, Microsoft brings forward E3 2017 Xbox press conference. Uh, Microsoft will hold its annual E3 press conference a little earlier this year, on the Sunday before the show starts. Mark your calendar for 2017's E3 Xbox showcase on Sunday, June 11th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. E3 week has increasingly stretched out into Sunday in recent years, Bethesda has recently used the day to hold a press conference of its own, while other publishers have used it to showcase games to press, often embargoed until E3 begins proper. So, uh, Larry Erb, uh, everybody's favorite Xbox guy, tweeted out this information. I think this is interesting. Uh, usually, Microsoft always goes before PlayStation. Now they're really going before PlayStation. I'm excited for this. I think a big problem Microsoft has, and this is just my personal opinion, is that they go and then maybe even, what, four hours after they go, PlayStation goes. So it's always everyone ends that day thinking about what PlayStation did, right? No matter how good Xbox's things are, PlayStation always has the final word on Monday just because of how they set out. I think them being on Sunday, even though they probably will be paired with Bethesda, and we'll get into that next story, uh, Bethesda is huge and everything. But it's always, you talk about the Ubisofts, the Bethesda's, EAs, and then it's the Microsoft, the PlayStation, the Nintendo, right? And I think that them being on Sunday and having their own day to themselves is huge for Microsoft. And I think it's a smart move considering they're launching a new console, whether it's an iteration or a brand new generation. I think this is huge, and I'm happy about this because I like the idea of watching the conferences Sunday, hearing Microsoft's message, being excited about that, having a whole day to gestate over that, and then being able to see Sony stuff. You know, um, I'm. I think this is awesome for them to be a little bit more separated. Usually, Nintendo goes on Tuesday as well, so hopefully, every big boy, as I like to call them, has their own day. Uh, and I, I'm happy for this move. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's. I mean, it's <clears throat> pretty obvious. It has something to do with Scorpio, right? Yeah. Because um, they want more time, or they just want to position themselves differently. Yeah, because they have a new console they want to show off. Because um, looking back, you know, Sony used a whole separate event to show off their new console, uh, that PS4, PS4 Pro event. I think timing 
had a little little bit more to do with that too because they wanted to show it off you know immediately before it was going to be released where scorpio is different presumably in that regard but yeah I, i think this it's tough to say because i don't know the statistics around you know when most people watch these things and, and that kind of stuff, where where more of the traffic is and the t- how the time between each conference affects everything, um, I'm sure like a lot of you know numbers and calculations went into this decision. It's, to me, that thing that kind of thing is fascinating. So um, personally, I like it way better because it's easier for me to watch on a Sunday than it is on a weekday. <laughs> yeah, and that's a big that's thing my too. Own personal input. Is PlayStation's conference is usually in the afternoon, so people. I think it usually starts like at six yeah. Eastern. So it's like people are already out of work and they can watch it, and then they have to go and watch the VOD for Microsoft conference if they're interested because it right, happens right. earlier in the day. But I, I'm happy for this because, like I said, I like each big boy to have their own day. Um, I don't like it being butted there because. On Monday, all you constantly hear is the Microsoft. The moment the Microsoft conference ends, it's let's see how PlayStation responds, which is interesting right. and yada yada yada. But like, it's not really a response though. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. But and that's how it's perceived. But and it's yeah, it's always shaped up as Microsoft did this. Now let's see what PlayStation does. Like right after the fact. Like, and I'm, I know I'm I own an Xbox and I might seem like an Xbox fanboy, whatever that is. But it's like I really always wanted there to be a little bit more time to be able to talk about hey, this is cool that what Xbox did, but because the way the events shape up, it's like, okay, we have like 10 minutes to talk about Xbox, but we need to get to the po- the pre-show for PlayStation now, you know, the way media rolls out. So um, I'm excited that it has its own day now because now people can talk about Microsoft for a full day, they can talk about PlayStation for a full day, and then they can talk about Nintendo. And I think having all of them have their own breathing room is awesome. So I'm excited for that. Um but actually, to this announcement, uh, Bethesda had a cheeky but little... But actually... But actually, uh, <laughs> apparently, uh, Bethesda actually had a nice little cheeky uh, tweet to this, and they said, Sunday before E3, getting busy. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Uh, basically throwing a nod at Xbox. Bethesda E3 showcase will still be on Sunday in the PM detail soon. Uh, this is interesting to me, too, because uh, you know Bethesda's always had their conference on, on Sunday the last two years. <laughs> All two of them, though, that Microsoft should have tweeted back, like, didn't you guys just start doing this? We've been doing this for years. <laughs> yeah, but r- the thing, too, is, like, we've always talked about VR and Xbox, and Todd Howard's come out and talked about Fallout VR with Oculus and Xbox, and I think there might be something to Bethesda and Microsoft being on the same day. Maybe not a huge thing, but it might make sense for uh, Microsoft's conference to go first with Project Scorpio and stuff, talk about the VR, talk about maybe fallout vr or whatever that is and then bethesda conference goes and you get a maybe a little deeper dive it would be weird if either bethesda had to hold out that whole vr section from their show or they do it first and then you hear about it at xbox the following day you know that'd be weird so i think this might have some timing where uh the reason xbox's conference is so early and it's on sunday is because they go and then bethesda goes you know i think there's something to that what do you think am i just reading into the tea leaves you might be onto something because um, uh, previously I was thinking, well, Bethesda does tend to slightly lean towards uh, towards Xbox, but, <clears throat> you know, not in any huge way. It's just they seem to, you know, some of their games just don't run that well on PlayStation and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I can tell you one thing. Right now, assuming Halo 6 uh, ends up coming to PC as well as Xbox, then I definitely won't ever you know feel the need to buy an xbox at any point right yeah but the one thing the one game one feature 
that could make me go out and buy buy an Xbox as soon as I am able would be Fallout on v, in VR. Just hand, that doesn't matter. I don't care about anything. I want that. Yeah, that would be insane. It just is weird to me that they would. The fact that they're both going the same day, Bethesda's going to be afterwards. We've heard all this stuff about VR and Oculus and Oculus and Xbox. And from that messaging standpoint, it does make sense of like, well, it's, Todd Howard would be put in the position of, well, do we talk about Fallout VR? But then they hear about it the next day at Scorpio. So we're talking about Scorpio before even Microsoft does. Yeah. yeah. And like, or do we not talk about it? But then they get a control of the messaging, which is cool because we like Microsoft, but we want to talk about it ourselves too because we're Bethesda. It's, it's, I, I think this, there's a reason for this, I think. And I might just be getting stir crazy and thinking of things that aren't there, but if it did happen, Mark my words, I will have a hashtag saying I was correct. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, I would be very surprised if nothing else, like something, some sort of connection between the two. Like last year, you know, Todd Howard was on, st- he wasn't on stage, but in, or was he maybe? I'm not, he, he was in the Scorpio remember. video. He wasn't on stage. <laughs> he was at least in the Scorpio video, right? Yeah. During Microsoft's conference. So I think there was be at least some bit of crossover in some way. And then hopefully... It goes as far as you're predicting. That would be awesome. That, that would be great. Uh, but nice little nod there, Bethesda. Like you, you said, it would have been funny if Xbox threw it back and be like, oh, yeah, we forgot. You guys do E3 now, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just to be funny. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so I think that's pretty much it for the news. We had a nice array of some Capcom news, some Microsoft news, some Bethesda news. Let's talk about this Legend of Zelda expansion pass, Dom. A what? A season pass? For a Nintendo game, the world is falling. The sky is falling. Well, I mean, I'm not at that level of freaking out as some people seem to be. Those people are going to buy the game anyway. But um, in any effect, this isn't you know a fifty dollar Battlefield One season pass. Like, not in you know uh, in volume of content or in cost. This is, <clears throat> I guess we might as well just lay it out. This is a twenty dollar season pass that includes two expansions. Cannot buy them separately. You have to pay for the twenty dollar pack, which is the weird thing. Why? Why call Very it season weird. pass? Like, or it's like I'll Very call it expansion pass, but yeah, it's it's weird to me. That, yeah, it, and part of it is a good strategy because uh, it forces you to you know come back to that game. Yep. Because you already bought it, so you you know you have some monetary incentives to jump back into that game months months later, um, and it gives them time to actually build the DLC, right? Uh, so the first DLC pack adds a hard mode, which I'm personally really excited for. That's probably how I'll play the game. And uh, yeah, I'll go on record saying I'm at, at, of course I'm going to buy this season pass. <laughs> I mean, I, I wish I didn't have to, but I do, <laughs> if that makes sense. So the first expansion adds a hard mode and a cave of trials, which that piece of it I probably won't delve into too much. Um, that first... That first expansion, though, it just seems light. It just seems that should have been a part of the game at launch. Absolutely, like, without a doubt. It's, and then the second piece, which isn't supposed to come until later this year, I believe, includes a new dungeon and a new story. So, like, actual DLC, right? To me, that sounds like, especially given, you know, how big Zelda dungeons usually are, that sounds like something that, you know, deserves to be an expansion. And I can be down with that and uh, <clears throat> paying extra for that. But the first expansion... As much as I want that hard mode, that shouldn't be an expansion pass that's monetized to me. But, of course, I'm still going to buy it. They know that. And so, 
It makes sense. So I have three major issues with this. The first issue being that you can't buy them separately, and you're calling it an expansion pass, which is weird. Yeah. Like, if you just said, this is the DLC, there's two versions, of, there's one part of it coming out in the second part. The fact that they're calling it a pass, and it's two pieces of DLC, but you can't buy them separately, then it isn't two pieces. It's one piece right. that's that's released at one time, and the other released at the other. It's, I don't like that. Price point, fine. My second problem, a game should never have a difficulty setting as a DLC. Ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that is awful management. That is not something that should be DLC ever in a game. You should never have people have to buy difficulty modes for your game. I think that's awful. Uh, and thirdly, I think the fact that with this, uh, the other thing we forgot to mention is that when you buy this, you get a, a shirt for Link that has a Switch logo on it, which is really weird to me. I could see if this was a game where it had heavy multiplayer, like a multiplayer mode or something where cosmetic items are a part of it. It's like, oh, I have this unique cosmetic item. It's a Legend of Zelda game that breaks RP to me, roleplay. Like, there's no reason Link would be wearing a Nintendo Switch shirt. It makes yeah. no sense to Nonsense. me. Nonsense. It doesn't make sense to me at all. It's a really weird, it's a really weird, like, wink, wink kind of thing to do. There's something else they could have totally done where it doesn't need to be so overt and like, you get a Switch logo shirt. Who cares? Why wouldn't? Why don't you give me a, a different outfit? What if it was like an outfit from one of the other games? You know, like an Ocarina, uh, Ocarina of Time outfit or like uh, Wind Waker or something or a nod to some game instead of it being a logo of your new console. That's really weird to me. Yeah. No, I'm not against the idea of, you know, a season pass or an expansion pass rather for a Zelda game at all. But this, they could have done so much better. Um, like, let's look back at Fallout 4. Um, their season pass, they actually ended up increasing the price of it from 30 to $50 after the game released. Um, which you'd think is a huge blunder, but <clears throat> even at $50, I think it was worth it because it's done so much better than than this is, right? Like, where it pretty much extends the game almost by double in playtime um, and new content. And it even added completely new... Uh, gameplay functions in the game right like yep. the vault building and the the robot building like completely new mechanics that yeah maybe they had already had those built during development and they could have re released it a part of the original game but the original game was so big in itself already that you know it's easy to justify having that as a dlc so that to me is the example they should have looked at when they were figuring out what to do with their season pass and because what they came up with although it's cheap it's just kind of well the thing is putting Bethesda is a company who's done DLC and done DLC well. People love the Fallout right. New Vegas DLC. Uh, Fallout 3's DLC is some of the best ever made. They know how to handle DLC. Uh, Nintendo's never really done this. The thing, too, that really irks me and is a total businessy move, the reason they're packaged together and they're not sold separately is because they know people will not buy the Cave of Trials and Hard Mode DLC. Some people will buy it, but not the yeah. majority of people that are going to buy that second piece, which is the actual interesting part of this, which is the new dungeon and new original story. That's why people are going to buy this. That's why people will spend any money on this is for that second part. And I think they know that, and that's why they're bundled together and you cannot buy them separately because they have to include those both to justify the price, and they know that people won't buy the difficulty mode because there's tons of people who play games that are like, I'm not going to buy DLC that gives me a difficulty mode. That's... You're making me buy for the game that should already been in the game. And I think that's a huge reason why you cannot buy these individually. And it's sad because the second part of this DLC seems awesome. Like a new original story, yeah. extra Legend of Zelda, for a game that already seems like it's going to have a lot of hours dumped into it to complete, great. Adding in a difficulty mode and this weird like Cave of Trials throwing thing that seems like a mini game, 
Um, I'm not familiar with it. They say it's like Twilight Princess. I'm not familiar with it. But uh, it's weird. The Switch logo t-shirt, I think, is 100%. How do we justify them pre-ordering it or buying it as soon as possible? What else can we throw in for a quote-unquote value? And they think that people are interested in a Switch logo shirt. Maybe a couple of people are. But you're telling me, Dom, if, you said, if I told you, you could either have... You get one of these for sure. You can either get a Switch logo outfit for uh, for Link, or you get a a, a Link the fire out- tunic, yeah, so that you can go into the volcano. Yeah, there you go. Which one would you rather have? I mean, it's just it completely, like you said, it breaks the immersion in that world. Like, why would you ever put that on your character? It just doesn't make sense. It's not Mario Kart or something where it's you know it's already so ungrounded and there's things from different games and genre or different ips but that that's where something like this kind of makes sense but not in this that'd be like I just that'd be like getting a piece of armor in dark souls 3 and obviously it's not an exclusive that'd be like getting a piece of armor that has it says like playstation 4 pro on it you know and you can yeah. wear that armor in the game it doesn't make sense it's really weird and like i said if this was like uh uh, a division or ghost recon wildlands or these games or even like for honor which would still kind of be weird rp because it's not current day but like these games where like you can have cosmetics and it makes sense even like a splatoon makes more sense than this it's weird that you put this in legend of zelda you know you don't think of legend uh, you don't think of legend of zelda you think of link wearing <laughs> like a nintendo shirt <laughs> makes absolutely no sense i don't understand it yeah but i think for me, I think the most exciting thing is the new original story. We talked about this a little bit. I think that's probably what you're super excited for. I know, I know yeah, you'll absolutely. enjoy most of it, but like, that's the most exciting thing. Is like, it's funny because this seems like to be the longest and most expansive Legend of Zelda, and it's the first one to get DLC. You know, you think about all the other ones where Zelda's are are always meaty, but you always want more. And this one seems to be the biggest one and the most time consuming. And this is the one that's getting DLC, which is pretty funny. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think this is weird. I don't think this is like overtly bad, but I do think this is, oh yeah, this is Nintendo's first foray into this kind of thing. It's obvious as we just mentioned yeah. the weirdness in this. So hopefully they learn from it. Um, like we, like we said with even the mobile games, uh, it's something new for Nintendo and it's interesting that they're even trying it because old Nintendo would never do these kind of things. Right. Cause they, they did it with the, the last Mario Kart and the last Super Smash Bros. And people seem to like how they did it there. I'm not too familiar, but... But those weren't season weird. passes, though, I don't think. They were DLC. Right, 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 This right. is their first foray into buy this up front and we'll give you all this stuff to come. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm interested to see where this goes. There's... I, it makes you think about what their options are for season passes in the future, like you said, with the Mario Kart, stuff like that. A lot of people didn't... A lot of people enjoyed all the content for Smash, but they didn't like the edit pay, 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 pay. I'm pretty sure a lot of people would have been down with buying a season pass. You get all the characters that come out, right? But then that goes to the problem of Nintendo saying that, okay, for this price, you're getting absolutely you're getting eight characters, meaning that that there's there's not as much surprise there either. And I think a big thing with Nintendo and with Smash especially or with Kart, their directs are huge because they're announcements you don't know about. So it kind of goes against what Nintendo stands for, right? Where you already know what's down the pipeline, so a lot of announcements aren't that huge anymore. So it's going to be interesting how they kind of um, meet in the middle on that. So, But I think you're down to get this. I think a lot of people are going to buy this for the second part of the DLC, not the first part. Um, I would be interested to see how many people actually end up even using the Switch logo t-shirt um, outside of just popping it on to see how weird it looks and then taking it off and never using it again. 
if so. there was ever a metric we were we will never see it's that yeah it's it's that um even if nintendo does have that recorded somehow we will never know and nintendo is not very good at dropping prices on games uh for some right. reason they're not very good at that so i'm going to be interested to see this holiday when it's i think the biggest most important push for the switch not the release it's going to be this holiday i want to see what this price for the stands where do you get this bundled in at that point? Is it like the game of the year edition of Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild? Is it $60? Is it 70 Is it 80 Like, what are they going to do with that, you know? Is it right. always just going to be on its own? Is it never going to be packaged in with the retail copy? Uh, as, you know, as in, like, it comes with this, and then you use the download code. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see how that all plays out, so. I imagine that they have a, probably a Mario Kart bundle this holiday. I don't think they'll do a bundle with Zelda or Mario Odyssey. Um... Because they're not going to give up that profit, right? Because anyone who buys this, which is pretty much going to buy those games no matter what. Yeah, I agree um, with you there, yeah. Especially Mario. I, which is insane right. that Mario was a pack-in for Nintendo 64, which is crazy. Yeah. So I, I'm going to be interested to see how this plays out. Like I said, it's not. it could have been way worse. And for a company making their first stride into this, I think this was an interesting and admirable attempt they still need to tweak it a bit because there were some weird things with it but uh as long as they learn from it i'm willing to hear them out on this if they continue this and get really weird and doesn't make sense then i'm going to be kind of hesitant towards this but i'm gonna, i'm willing to give nintendo the benefit of the doubt as many people have over the course of the last two console releases so we'll see how it goes um any closing words on this Tom? i think we covered most of it you're getting it but you're not 100 yeah. percent happy about it <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the next story here is actually kind of a, a pseudo follow-up to something we talked about, I think, like three weeks ago. It was the episode in which we talked about the Apocalypse Now Kickstarter. Uh, so when we were talking about this, uh, the Banner Saga 3 Kickstarter launched, and that game received its funding of 300 k within, like, the first three days, I think. Banner Saga is a very beloved game. People love that series. Excited to see them finish it. Apocalypse Now... Uh, a famous movie that not a lot of people know about nowadays that was very psychedelic and weird from Francis Ford Coppola. It was aiming to raise 900k. It ended uh, with just nine days left. It was only at 172,000, so nowhere near where it was aiming to go. And uh, this story, I'm going to read you the story real quick by Vicky Blake over at IGN, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, the developer for Apocalypse Now has relocated the campaign to its own crowdfunding site after failing to secure funding via Kickstarter. To date, the Kickstarter drive, which describes the game as like Fallout New Vegas on acid in Vietnam, which is a pretty cool description, has secured just 172,000 of the 900k target, which is nine days left to go. Real quick side, uh, if I was them, I would say like Fallout 3 or Fallout 4, not New Vegas. I like New Vegas a lot, but you would probably do the ones that more people played. That's just my side note there. Uh, unlike Kickstarter, there's no finite uh, end date for the campaign on the new site, and backers will not be charged until the full amount has been raised. Pledges made to the original Kickstarter project can move their backing to the new platform, where every hardcore backer, in quotes, will receive a reward tier upgrade, essentially getting the rewards of the next tier up for no extra cost. Um, the other thing to note here, the new campaign aims to achieve 5.9 million, so close to six, and to date has raised 62000 So they're doing even worse than their Kickstarter. Uh, I'm going to read you this last bit here. The Apocalypse Now website operates like any crowdfunding platform. You will not be charged unless we are successful in raising money. ApocalypseNow.com will be engaging space where fans and backers can get the latest updates. The team will rely on this dialogue with the community to help them to create an Apocalypse Now game worthy of the most in picture in every way. 
According to a press release for the project, players will have the ability to make their own decisions independent of the original narrative. Uh, game stuff, essentially, is the best way to put it. Uh, Apocalypse Now is being developed with a planned 2020 launch window. I smell BS, and I don't think this game is ever going to happen. We talked about this before we started recording. I think this is somebody trying to make a video game that doesn't understand video games. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola is, uh, you know, a beloved director and uh, filmmaker, and people love his work. People love Apocalypse Now. I think this is him wanting to make a game and not understanding what it takes to make a game and the interest. I think he believes his property or the property of Apocalypse Now, I don't know if he owns any share in it, um, is bigger than it actually is. And I think, and this is all my opinion, uh, I think that uh, this was kind of like a slap to their ego uh, everyone involved with Apocalypse Now, like, yeah, people don't really care about Apocalypse Now. Raising only 172000 for a night when you ask for 900 k and then leaving the site and then asking for $5.9 That's insane to me personally. I, I want to hear your take, though, Don, because I can go on and on. So, No, I think I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Um, <clears throat> Death Stranding has a better chance of coming out next month than this Apocalypse Now game has of coming out ever. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you never know with Kojima, but, but anyway, <laughs> um, no, I think you're right. I think this, this is the core problem is, is this, you know, this guy doesn't know anything about video games. Right. Um, and maybe in, in a heartfelt and, you know, true kind of way is trying to get into it and really wants people to play a, a fun game with his property, but is certainly overestimating the demand. I think, uh, and then this move, it was it was one thing back when we first brought this up, and we were kind of like, uh, it doesn't look like they're going to hit their their uh, inflated uh, Kickstarter goals. And then now to just kind of ditch that uh, and try to do their own thing, it, it just it seems very Hollywood. Yeah, I guess. Um, I I just I don't know. I don't know what else to say. But it's, the weird thing good about this. The weird thing too is the most successful Kickstarters are Kickstarters that are either backed by people who already have something that they've worked on. And this isn't saying, like, I brought in developers from A, B, and C game. It's all these developers from those came together and built this game, right? Or having a playable demo or having actual gameplay or, uh, I don't know, more tangible proof that you can get the job done. And I think the biggest problem with Apocalypse Now is that there wasn't even any gameplay shown for the Kickstarter. It's like, yeah, you've seen Apocalypse Now. We're going to make a video game about it. It's like Fallout. a concept of something. Yeah, yeah. Like, though, obviously, Banner Saga 3 has two other games to lend itself on. All over that Kickstarter are, here's what the game looks like. Here's what it plays like. Here's, And it's one thing to say what your game's going to be and actually show it. The most successful Kickstarters are ones that already have prototypes. If you look at any of the ones right. that are successful, Hollow Knight, Shovel Knight, any of these... They have prototypes when they post it up, and they're like, this is what the actual gameplay looks like. People are like, oh, I can visualize that. I want to play more of what I'm seeing. And I think one of the biggest problems is people are like, I saw Apocalypse Now as a cool movie, but how does that translate to a video game? Because it's like a weird psychedelic movie. Okay, you told me it's like Fallout, uh, but on acid in Vietnam. What does that look like? Like, I don't understand. Because it could be something amazing. Like, you know, people like to hate on Call of Duty, but those games are well made. It could be like a Call of Duty or it could be like a B-tier shooter that no one really cares about, you know? It's like, am I investing? What am I investing in? And it's... They asked for 900 k and they couldn't even hit 50% of that. And then they jumped their funding to $6 million? That's insane to me. It's already 2017. 
you figure they're probably if they do end up hitting this it won't be till next year at the earliest if they even hit they're currently at 60,000 meaning that they're going to make this game in two years well then how long is it going to be you know and like what's their track record of building games yeah right? he said i brought people from all these places well all those people you brought together what have they made so far why isn't there a prototype what have they made together you can tell me i oh i brought in it's it's like a it's how do i say it's like a all-star game for for sports it's like yeah you can bring all these all-stars together but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play well together unless we see them <laughs> playing in a game together we're not going to know that right and on top of that who knows that they're even all-stars i mean Exactly. By developer standards, it's just because who wants that job, right? Yeah, exactly. That that can't be a, a highly sought after, high, highly demanded job for a game that isn't even funded. Yeah. I mean, I guess if there's no work, then uh, that you might attract some talent. But in my eyes, right now, this isn't. That's not exactly a. And the thing is, is, put your employer. money where your mouth is. If you think these guys are superstars and talented, Francis Ford Coppola, you want to make an Apocalypse Now game front some of your own money so that way these guys can build a prototype that's badass so people can see on the Kickstarter right. and be like, oh, they are badass. You know, we don't know how good or bad the developers and the artists and the, the production people on this are, but he doesn't give us any confidence in that because he d they didn't show us anything. I think it's just a poorly mismanaged uh, Kickstarter, man. Like, maybe the movie isn't as popular as they think, but the concept is really cool and people want Vietnam-esque uh, shooters back again they don't like the futuristic stuff as much because that's what we have like sci-fi games for they don't want their military shooters to be futuristic like this could work if they pitched it right but it's like it's kind of like they're taking all the shortcuts and they just relied on the name you know when there wasn't anything actually yeah. there and and mm, go ahead they need i mean they need a publisher right like to me this is this is in no world a kickstarted game it just doesn't make any sense like the reason you know, publishers don't often grab games like Banner Saga isn't because of the lack of quality, right? It's just they're not going to make as much money off of it. It could be a great game, but and it will make some money, but it's just not worth the investment. And They'd rather spend their time and money investing in other things, which that's what this needs to be. Um, I, I can see why no publisher would pick it up, but I think that's what they should. this guy should be aiming at is getting a publisher to pull, you know, to back him instead of... But pulling all these stunts. Here's I the guess. thing too: is on the opposite end of that, we can have the opposite argument too. Of a lot of times, publishers go towards these Banner Saga s games, and they want to publish the games. And independent studios are really proud that they do these games by themselves, and they get the backing on their own. And a lot of them do make some good money, and publishers get turned down quite a bit. And I wouldn't doubt if he took this. There, to, yeah. I, he took this to publishers, and they're like, "Why should we have any faith in this? Like, why should we right. give you? Why should we publish this game?" Uh, like you want a million dollars and you don't even have anything yeah. to show like why I would give you yeah it's, all you're saying is watch the movie it's going to be like that that doesn't make any sense the the business sense is just it's completely missing here it just it's it's so hollywood to me it just doesn't make any sense yeah it's like it's like a very famous hollywood it'd be like if spielberg tried to make an indie movie you know and it's like, why aren't all? It's uh, there was that famous Russian director that tried to get Ray, his new Rage movie funded on Kickstarter or something, and nobody funded it. And then he made a video on YouTube saying that people are babies and they don't fund art; they just fund all this garbage. It's like, don't get mad at the audience. You know, a free market allows you to know what people yeah. want and what people don't want. Don't get mad at people because they don't want your product. You either did a terrible job of marketing it, or people just don't like your product as much as you think they do. You know? Oh man! And that's, that's a so... huge slap to people's ego, and they don't, they can't deal with it. So, uh... I just, I Francis Ford Coppola is obviously like a famed director, but I really think that 
this is, and maybe it's not even him. Maybe it's people around him like, we haven't done anything with Apocalypse now. We can't really make a sequel. People love video games. How about we use your property to make video games? And he's like, well, that sounds cool. People like video games. And it might be somebody else trying to steer him towards this. And he doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know video games. And he's trusting in them. And they're making this poorly. You know, it might not be his fault. So I just, I it would be cool to see this game funded because I want to see how it turns out. But the <laughs> the reality of that happening, I don't think is going to happen. Is, you know, it's... In a world where Star Citizen made as much money as it did, and this is hurting to even reach 200k, that should show you right there. You know, yeah, it's it's very weird to me. I it's even so like the site thing. We can go on this a little bit longer. Them pulling it off and making their own site is weird to me too. They didn't go to Fig, which is like Kickstarter, but people could actually invest in your game, meaning that maybe they don't want people to invest in it because they don't want to share profit with them, which is kind of a bad thing too. Once I pulled it off a of Kickstarter, for me, if I was running this game, I would then, after that point, I would then go to publishers, be like, we garnered some interest, you know, we didn't do uh, maybe the Kickstarter as best as we could, but there was interest in this, we almost reached $200,000, what do you think about it, and pitch it to a bunch of publishers, then if that didn't work, then I would do my own website. This seems like a very reactionary move, uh, an ego-driven move of like, your site sucks, we're going to do this on our own, so... That's pretty much it. I've talked forever about this. Any closing words on Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Never. <laughs> Good. That's a very apt... Uh, that's a perfect headline for this, actually. It, it just came to me. I don't yeah. know, like, Apocalypse right Never, the Kickstarter that didn't happen. That'd be a perfect headline. Uh, yeah. Sorry to end the show on a somber note, but we're actually going to be talking about what we're going to be playing next week. Um, I'm not too sure about what's on the slate... I've been staring at Witcher Three, and I want to play it, but I. <laughs> right. It's like I want it. I want to play it, but then I don't because I don't want to invest that much into it. You know, it's one of those things. Have you played it before? Yeah, I'm like two and a half okay. hours in. Like I'm pretty. I'm not pretty far in. Don't get me wrong, but I'm I'm in. Like, and then just something else happened, and I just didn't get around to finishing it or playing it. I love Witcher Three. It just I want to get back to playing it, and I know I just I'm gonna restart from the beginning. And I don't know if I want to commit to that right now. I'm going to be playing more Fire Emblem Heroes, obviously. Um, more Sniper Elite 4. I'm going to try to finish that up so I can get the, re the review going. And uh, The Force Unleashed is available. Uh, Games with Gold. I originally oh, yeah. played it a long time ago. I never beat it. So I might hop back into that. I want to see how it holds up. Probably not too well. And Project Cars looks interesting. That's the other free game. I'm not a car guy by any means. I'm not a racing guy. But I, a lot of times I like to see those games because they're always... Most of the time, the car games are the prettiest games on consoles. That's why they're always launch titles. Because um, car games, just they're so beautiful. Like I, I wish I was a car guy, because I'd ooh and ah over them. Um, and that's pretty much it. Also, at the beginning, I forgot to talk about, I caught up on Walking Dead. Uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, it is what it is. And uh, that's pretty much it. I don't have anything else on the docket. Uh, I might try to catch the Lego Batman movie. Even though I've never seen the original Lego movie, which is kind of a shame. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. What about you? Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been curious about that Lego Batman movie, too. It's definitely not something I'd see in theaters, but I might have to watch that someday. In my head, I just envisioned that, you know, popping up on Netflix someday. Oh, that's yeah. where I get it. Yeah. Um, but as far as what I'll be playing this week, um, Bloodborne, I have roughly I don't know, two and a half weeks or so. My math is shoddy at the moment until... Uh, my Switch shows up, so I want to have that Platinum down and just to be done with that game. 
can just forever check it off the list um, and know that I completely conquered it. And then uh, mobile-wise, I don't have anything else uh, on the docket, I suppose. You're in that middle space you always talked about where, like, you don't want to start something because Zelda's, like, right around the corner. So this is actually, I think, a good time yeah. to clean up trophies because you don't exactly yeah, you don't want to you don't want to start anything new so just go back to old games obviously bloodborne that's your main focus other games you want to get trophies for it's a, it's a good opportunity in this holding pattern yeah the other one I, that i i talked about before that if if time allows i do want to try to get that bioshock infinite uh platinum because i'm very close already actually um essentially the only thing tough i have to do is just finish the game on the hardest difficulty once which will be tough but i mean coming off the heels of bloodborne sure it won't be too bad uh and then find a couple of the last collectibles, which, so, I mean, that that's well within range. Um, I found it, uh, it really only worked that way because I had played infinite before. So this, this time around when I played it on PS4, I just, you know, peeked at a trophy guide ahead of time just to see, you know, the kind of path and the things you should try to do, um, to most efficiently get the platinum. Right. And that just, that made, that makes things so much easier, but then it, it does take a little. I, I don't ever like doing that uh, on a first run. Oh no, never. Ever, no, no, right? no. That's horrible. Right. So, because I had already played Infinite uh, years ago when it first came out, I was comfortable doing that, um, and it put me in a way better position to get the platinum. So, I kind of see. I kind of see the reasoning. Like, trophy guides can can do wonders. Really. The only the only thing I ever do that for. So I look at trophies for any game I buy just because I'm curious. And the well, not trophies, but achievements. And the good thing about the achie- uh, true achievements that I use is they always h- hide the story achievements. So even if they're not secret in yeah. like the actual like uh, achievement thing for Xbox, they'll they'll hide them themselves, right? Which I think is great. Um, and the only achievements I look for are um, this or that kind of achievements. So it's like especially like in an RPG. Uh, like Fallout, for instance, uh, it's like, did you side with this or this? So that way I know whenever it comes to that point, I can make a separate save that I attend to later. So that way I'm at that point right, later, right? right? It's like for Fallout 4, before everything goes down with the railroad and all of them, I made a save, put it to the side, and then I played through the game, played through it normally, and then I was able to go back to that save and then do everything else. I don't. I definitely do not do any of the collectibles or any of that stuff because it takes you out of the experience. I'm like, oh, wait, this collectible's here, this collectible's here. Yeah. Yeah, and I naturally even I my first playthrough I'm like that anyways, where I'm like, I like to look at the game and look around and be like, oh, what's over here? What's over here? I'm very like open to the world. I don't want to sit there and be like, I have to turn left here, turn right, door here, collectible, turn back. It's like then why even play the game? Yeah, no, and it's nice because you can go to I think it's PlayStationTrophies.org, something along those lines, dot com probably more like anyway, <laughs> uh, and just read the first you know two paragraphs of the trophy guide. And it'll tell you, like, it's going to take this many playthroughs minimum. Um, and it'll kind of give you just, like, a, a base of, you know, the first time you play through the game, try to do this or only do this. Uh, Dishonored was a big one because if you didn't use a trophy guide, you'd probably have to do, like, five playthroughs to get that platinum, right? Yeah. But you it could take as few as two if you do things, you know, just with a certain thing in mind as you're going through them. I don't want to get into specifics, but um, just having, like, a little bit of a, a foresight you can end up saving a lot of time if you know one day you're gonna want that trophy. But yeah, exactly. There's a fine line to walk. That's a whole discussion for another day. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I hope you get that platinum because oh, 
Actually, I'm gonna be playing Nino Kuni still. I'm playing that game. Nice. That's really good. I forgot. I I've, I was I even forgot to mention at the top of the show I've been playing it. So it's definitely something I'm gonna be hopping back into because I love the aesthetic and the whole world. And it's like a Disney movie. Every time a parent dies at the beginning of something, I'm hooked. So, spoilers for Nino Kuni if you haven't played it. The mom dies at the beginning of the game. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's everything for us that we're going to be playing. Uh, if you can, follow us at CTRLINT on Twitter. That's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. Go to ControlledInterest.com for all of our content. Go to YouTube.com uh, and just search Controlled Interest. Unfortunately, we don't have a custom URL yet. We're close. We're at 71 subscribers, inching ever so closely to 100 and getting a custom URL. YouTube growth is hard, but we're doing it slowly but surely. Um, you can follow us. I'm at Jared underscore. Dom is at Dom's Oreos. And... Uh, Jordan, who's not with us today, is at Mellow Modus. He'll be back next week, more than likely. And that's pretty much it. Thank you guys for listening to episode 47. Catch us in episode 48. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>